Welcome back to the Collegiate Sports Podcast. I am your host, as always, Joey Alberti, with Colin McCarthy, the usual suspect, and newcomer Judah Katz, another member of the Daily Collegiate Sports Football Beat. Judah, how does it feel to be to be on the mic for the first time? Feels good. Feels good to diversify the portfolio a little bit. Mm. I'm not going to lie. I like that hoodie a lot. For those of you out there who obviously can't see the hoodie, it's a SpongeBob hoodie. I was a big SpongeBob fan growing up. That's a good many, color. As too. many people were. <laughs> you got to rep the roots, man. Yeah, that's yeah. a good color hoodie too. I like that light yeah. blue. Yeah. They are still airing like old episodes of SpongeBob, and it's very enjoyable. I'm not mm-hmm. gonna lie. Like, just a classic Saturday morning if I'm bored or mm-hmm. hungover or whatnot, then I'll just throw on some SpongeBob, and it's it's a great time. Yeah, that and I think yesterday morning we had some fairly odd parents on before <laughs> school. Oh my god, felt like middle school all over again. They put um they put Fairly Odd Parents on Netflix, and Lots I remember last move. yeah last semester I started watching it. It's great. I didn't I like obviously Vicky was like an awful babysitter, but she's like an awful babysitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's get to what we're all here for though, and that is UMass football, who just lost to Temple twenty eight to zero, at Lincoln Financial Field, where the Philadelphia Eagles call home i did not watch as much of the game as you two did so i want you two to take the floor (laughs) what the hell happened here's what here's what i'm gonna say to start off with i think that might have been umass's worst game of the year given how close temple and umass are to one another program wise rankings wise 28 to 0 couldn't put up a single point on temple's defense that is not good the defense played UMass's defense played great in the first half especially I mean they played pretty well all game but the first half really locked down Temple it, it almost was 0-0 going into halftime but god the offense cannot score and if you can't score against a team that's similar level to you and you can only put up one touchdown on offense against an FCS team in Stony Brook like it is not looking great on the offensive end right now I think I almost agree with you. That might have been the worst game of the year. Um, I thought the quarterback matchup was just so heavily in favor of Temple. EJ Warner, even though in the first half he didn't look he didn't look totally in rhythm. He didn't seem too confident making a, a, a couple reads. He 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 screwed up. But coming out of halftime, it just seemed like they were getting such a spark from some of the throws he would make that no matter what UMass could do on both sides of the ball, they just couldn't overcome the talent that Temple had. And that, to me, started at the quarterback position. Yeah, absolutely. EJ Warner seems to be, like, a, a decent freshman quarterback. I feel like for what Temple, like, needs and is going for, they had Quincy Patterson and they had, um, I forget the other guy's name, but they had those two dudes that were starting over EJ Warner, and he kind of came in. Good for EJ Warner, you know? Kurt Warner's son. Cool, cool little thing. I'm going to bring that up every time I mention EJ Warner. As you should. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. But 28 points, like, isn't an awful number of points to give up, um, especially when your offense can't help you at all. I, like, was, how much did field positioning 
um, I guess, because I don't want to put it all on the offense because we all know how bad the special teams is. How much did field positioning play an impact in the amount that Temple was able to score? Joey, I, I wish I could tell you it played a, a big factor. I, I think that the field positioning battle was a bit more even against Temple than we've seen against any other team. Uh, it seemed like punts were like serviceable. I think it was the best game of the season for CJ, but that's not saying a whole lot, obviously. Uh, really, the, the 28 points came from they had one really good drive to open halftime. Uh, they had they had a drive right before halftime and a drive coming out of halftime that were both really good. And then they got that pick six, and the rest was like pretty much locked on defense. I don't know if you saw something different, Judah, or if I'm remembering incorrectly, but it seemed like just a couple of drives that were really fruitful, and then the uh, mistakes by UMass's offense. Yeah, it just it seemed like obviously the game was somewhat competitive going into halftime. Um, and I always think about it as a game of two halves because you have that time to reset. Um, but like you said, there were just a few drives in the third quarter. Um, it just seemed to suck all the momentum out of anything UMass could do. It, mm-hmm. They were running a little bit, passing a little bit, trying to mix it up. But it just seemed like the tables had turned so much that um, th- those drives, especially I think the second drive in the third quarter, I remember I think EJ – Warner made a few throws that I it just seemed to suck the life out of anything. He made a mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it, which drive it was, but he made a throw to the pylon in the end zone on like a fade route, gorgeous throw, put it right in a bread basket and to me that's what sealed the game. I think it was like 14 to 0 at that point or something mm-hmm. like that and it was yeah. just at that point once that had happened it was it was uh good night Irene. Yeah, that was one of the throws that I can really remember him making. Yeah, and I like you said like momentum wise any momentum that there was left ended when Brady threw that pick six like yeah completely ended was that the first play of that drive I, I want to say it was like first or second the first yeah. or second play of the drive coming back onto the field like hey at, again only down like 14 nothing or something like that we can make something happen march onto the field immediately chaos and that like I think that was like the nail in the coffin that was like there's no there's no momentum to be had there's nothing happening here anymore I want to read off the quarterback stat lines for UMass from this past Saturday, just for the people out there that might have not watched or did not see. Gino Campiotti, 7 of 14, 36 yards and an interception. Zamar Wise, three completions on seven attempts, 35 yards. Brady Olson, one completion on five attempts for nine yards and the pick six. That's... That's tough. That's tough. Brady, at this point, I feel like it's it's like I, I feel bad. I I really do. I feel like it's like a mental um, handicap at this point for him. That's kind of holding him back from his true potential because you saw his true potential at the beginning of last year, or even like midway through, where you're like, oh, this kid could be something special years down the line. But now it's just like, man, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that mental roadblock is really hard to get over. I know Don Brown, and I want to be careful saying this because we don't know for sure who he was talking about here, but I know he said that there were some guys that needed to translate what they do in practice onto the game day field, and I wonder if Brady Olson is one of those guys who feels that way because, again, like I saw a good amount of training camp, and Brady looked so good. Like 
his throws were clean. His reads were clean. He made a couple mistakes, but every time he made a mistake, he got right back up, and the next play was always so good. But he gets into these games, and he just is not producing. Like, he hasn't – I don't think there's a single throw he's made this season that I remember. Like, there's no memorable throw. Like, Zamar Wise had the best throw of the game on Saturday against Temple on a, a nice post route. I think I remember that. Uh, and, like, I remember Geno's touchdown pass. Like, that was a, a – that ball was on a rope. Like, give Geno credit for that one in particular against Stony Brook. But, like, there's no pass that Brady has made where I'm like, damn – that's the Brady that I saw in practice. Like, I don't know what happens when he gets into the games, but it is, like you said, like I feel bad for him because he has so much potential, but he's got to figure out that mental aspect, I think. Agreed. I, I think the way that the quarterback situation has been handled this year, it, it, it makes it so hard for him to, even personally, but throughout the game, find continuity. I mean, they'll go drives where Gino will have three, four plays, and then they'll just throw Brady in. And I feel like the repetitions that he has in practice, like you said, it's it's totally different from a game because you're coming into, say, Temple, the Temple game, you're in the middle of a drive. You're on a second and five where you haven't thrown the ball in 20, 30 minutes, and you're, you're basically just right into a D1 football game, and you have all this – You have, but first of all, the offensive line has – Little, very little time because they run so much that the only times that they pass, you know that they're passing. They'll empty spread backfield, and it'll be they'll, they're going for intermediate routes, which puzzled me a little bit because when you're struggling to complete passes, you'd think you get a little dink and dive, five-yard outs, but Brady will get in there, and he'll have to hit somebody 30 yards down the field with edge rushers in his face, mm-hmm. and then immediately get taken off the field and have to do that two quarters later. So it's just not a uh, situation for success for Brady. Yeah, I, I think that's that precedent was set immediately. I think it could have been such a big confidence boost at the very first game of the season to send Brady out there and have him be the guy. They sent Brady out there, and two plays later on the first game of the season, they ripped him out and put Geno in. And I like I wonder if that was even a turning point mentally of, like, I'm the guy, but I'm not the guy. You know what I mean? Like, they didn't they couldn't commit to anybody. Like, again, I know we've, we're beating it like a dead horse, but not committing to anybody is hurting the whole QB room. Mm-hmm. Gino's best drives, best plays were always when he got into a rhythm because he's been getting the most playing time so far. It's hard. Like, Brady hasn't been in a rhythm ever, and Zamar we just saw for the first time, but he isn't in a rhythm either. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, not to beat a dead horse because we have been beating that dead horse, but, like, I feel like we should probably keep beating that dead horse because it's <laughs> the quarterback of a football team yeah. in Division One college football. That's enough for this past week's game against Temple. Now we're going to get into some grades. Uh, the actual, Actually, the other beat writer that isn't here present at the podcast is Johnny Deppin, and he, by the time of this podcast being released, um, posted a story that grades each position group of UMass men's football men's football well till this point and we're going to go over a few and those few being quarterbacks wide receivers and cornerbacks Colin do you 
mind doing the honors of telling us? We'll start with quarterbacks since we're on the subject of the the grade that Johnny gave the quarterbacks. Yeah, so uh, quarterbacks here is going to be a, a D minus, just just above an F. Uh, held up by Gino Campiotti's rushing yards because the passing attack, it's no, uh, it's no surprise, has been pretty awful through four games. Uh, basically F worthy in the passing game, but obviously. Gino being like the leading rusher of UMass football takes a little bit of the uh, burn off of how bad the room has been as a whole. Uh, so that is that is that grade there. What do you think about that grade? Well, I mean, we put it there, so <laughs> uh, I think I mean I think that D minus is is probably about right. I I appreciate the fact that we're acknowledging the rushing presence, even though like it could easily be replaced probably by the other running backs. Um, I don't know. Like I, I do think that it adds like a slightly, and I say that very stressingly slightly different dimension offensively when you're running the ball (laughs) with your running back and then, Oh, all of a sudden you're running it with your quarterback. Uh, again, they're super one dimensional. Uh, but that is like, like one a, of the dimension (laughs) judah yeah um i would agree with the grade wholeheartedly um i think they've had moments of promise some and some drives um because like you said they run so much um they have had opportunities um for drop back passing and gino he's got legs uh the broadcast guys are always saying former tight end he can he's a little shifty he's an athlete um he can get through some holes and there have been times where he has dropped back and looked decent and hit guys in the chest. Um, I just think the play calling has been so limited and been such it's so one dimensional that they just can't seem to mix anything up. And and the the defensive lines that they're running up against aren't exactly world beaters. But when you're rushing the the quarterback and you know he's either going to run or hand the ball off, I mean you don't even have to really chip anybody. You just run straight forward and put your head down. And I think if they're going to have any success going forward from their quarterback room, whoever it is, they just need to at least supplement some short passing in just to at least allow Gino to take off sometimes just for a little more space. That's very fair. I think the two of you, along with our good friend Johnny Deppin, are just a little too nice about this grade. (laughs) The fact... Don't get me wrong. The rushing stats are good. 242 yards in four games with a touchdown is good for a quarterback. I also think just because he leads the team in rushing yards doesn't mean like he like there's like it's solid rushing numbers. But unless it's like 400, 500 yards where it's like, whoa, like these are impressive, like running numbers, even for a running back, which they're not because it's four and a half yards per carry, which is okay, 60 yards per game. That's like okay but for a team that's run heavy that Mm. runs like almost 60 percent of the time i i feel like that's not okay and then that's before even getting to the main part of the quarterback which is the passing part he's under 50 percent this year in completion percentage four interceptions one touchdown against a lower end fcs team and 165 passing yards 165 passing yards through four games uh, that's just that's that's just enough. And 
I'm not saying Gino is like this this awful quarterback. I think he's also just been put in a really crappy situation as most UMass quarterbacks are. But I think this has to be an F because it's a standard. I think we're just holding them to such a lower standard than any other team. Like if we were to talk about like we'll okay, we'll go to the highest. Like we'll go to Alabama and then Bryce Young was having like only passed for like 600 yards at this point in the season. So like 150 yards per game or like 165 yards per game, we'll say like Gino, then people would be like, this is an F like he's doing awful. Um, so I, I think we're, I think the standard is a little, it's low and that's fair because UMass is in Alabama, but even for their low standard, I still think this is an F. That that's a good point that you're making there. I I can't I can't disagree with you. That's I'm, for yeah, sure. I'm not dying on that hill. I, yeah, <laughs> believe me. Okay. With that, let's go to wide receivers. What did Johnny give for a wide receiver grade? Uh, Johnny gave the wide receivers a D plus. Uh, notable stuff here: Cam Sullivan, uh, Cameron Sullivan Brown, ten receptions for 109 yards. Uh, George Johnson has 78 total yards, and they make up. Over 84% of the wide receiver's yardage in just the two of them, even though UMass uses probably about like five or six guys. Uh, so, yeah, D-plus for wide receivers. Judah, what do you think? Yeah, this is where this is where the grading to me is a little generous. Um, from what I've been seeing, um, including the Temple game, it just seems like nobody in the receiving core could create separation um, I think that's another problem whenever quarterback will drop back is that because the ball gets out so fast normally, you need that 5 to 10-yard area to at least create a step or two. Um, and you can see the long on the season is for Cam Sullivan Brown, which is 20 yards. I mean, that just means that you're not creating enough space. And I feel like the D-plus, while it is – I'd say it's in the D's. I'm not going to go F because they've made some plays. Um, but I do think that in order for them to get any success, their receivers just have to be a little more explosive. And there have been some drop balls, I've noticed, that that really crush momentum. And I think, especially for Gino, um, when he gets a good throw, um, those catches just have to be made for those drives to continue. That's fair. I... This is almost like a chicken or the egg type of deal in my eyes where, like, are the wide receivers bad because the quarterbacks are bad? Is the quarterback group bad because the wide receivers are bad? I honestly think D-plus might be a little low. Um, Watching someone like Rico Arnold last year, he wasn't some great wide receiver, but he did create separation. Like, he was a good wide receiver. And I, like, I just don't believe that this year he's just this much worse as a wide receiver. Someone even like Josiah Johnson. Josiah Johnson was like a, a solid like red zone threat or like a good like oh, like down the seams kind of tight end. I I honestly would say that this group hasn't had enough intel to be graded yet, seeing that they have like less than 10 catches, I think it is, the wide receivers. Josiah Johnson's a tight end, by the way, so I guess that doesn't necessarily count. Mm-hmm. But um, I like... They the wide receivers have less than ten catches this year, and like yeah, that's that's bad. I think a C minus is where I would put it at, just because the quarterbacks 
aren't able to really get them the ball at an efficient rate, as I just mentioned. Fair enough. I am going to be the Goldilocks moment here. I'm going to say that the rating is just right. <laughs> uh, and it's for the same reasons that you mentioned. Like, it's like it's really hard to, to get the receiver's momentum when none of the passing game has any momentum. You're talking about dudes who are run blocking, like, 50 times per game on the outside. Uh, so, like, it's definitely, I mean... Every DB is going to be making so much contact with these guys on every play just purely for the fact that they're assuming that it's going to be like they're going to have to shed a run block. Like, that adds to it as well. Like, I just think there's no momentum in the passing attack whatsoever. And, like, it's probably partly on the receivers, partly on the quarterbacks, partly on the the scheming. But, I don't know, like, it's so, it's really hard to judge them. I think that... Cameron Sullivan Brown in particular has shown signs of being a good receiver, and obviously he has been a good receiver in the past. I think George Johnson is a really versatile guy in the backfield. Like, they also have him running the ball. Uh, so, like, as a group, I think it's not bad, but I I don't quite get it up into the C territory yet just because, I mean, if we're going to trash the passing attack in the quarterback sense, we got to we got to give the receivers some tough love too, even if uh, they're they're not the ones that are like, I don't know, making the plays. Like they can only get the ball thrown to them so much. And now for the last position, we're going to go over cornerbacks. What grade did Johnny give for the cornerbacks, who have probably been, I think, we can all argue, the best group this year? Yeah, Johnny certainly did. Uh, they are the only group that got an A. Um, this entire list, everybody else was in B minus or B. I think offensive line was a B plus, so that was the next highest. Uh, but yeah, I again, like honestly, I I do agree with Johnny because you got Jordan Mahoney making insane plays. He's got two interceptions. Granted, one was an easy interception, but one was a a ninety four yard pick six. So I feel like those balance each other out. And then the fumble he forced against Temple was huge that was in the first half before they lost all their momentum and that gained them a lot of momentum uh for him to to punch the ball out like that he's playing out of his mind josh wallace is playing really great too the interception he had on that screen pass against stony brook still kind of blows my mind a little even though it is stony brook like jump in the jump in that route is so hard to do it's it's not a coincidence that you don't see that happen very often and he to read it so well and to make that play just huge. I think that duo is so strong. I think it's by far their strongest two players probably on either side of the ball. So I'm I'm really liking that Johnny gave uh, the cornerbacks an A there. Judah? Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, just to go back to that that uh, screen pick, I, I that play to me was the best play of the season. I know that it wasn't a pick six, it wasn't a touchdown, but the heads-up nature of that play, the offense was going no huddle rush offense defense was like all over the place and for him to just jump it and make a great catch too because that's a weird angle um and you're not really used to that as a corner you don't practice that a ton is jumping screens you're mostly trying to get a tackle to be honest yeah so i love that grade i think what they've done downfield has been solid very solid i i think they're cutting off routes a lot which is great um obviously we have down the schedule, down the line, there's going to be tougher opponents. So we'll have to see who, how they fare up against better receivers, obviously. 
Um, but I do agree with that grade. I think the biggest thing for me, I also agree. The big, I just want to point out the improvement from last year. They lost Bryce mm-hmm. Watts, who had a chance in the NFL before um, getting hurt, which sadly for him, but hopefully he gets another shot once he's healthy again because he had a mm-hmm. season-ending injury of some sorts that I forget. But UMass hasn't allowed over 200 passing yards this season, and the three they did it three times last year of not allowing over 200 passing yards. That was against Army, who refuses to pass the ball. <laughs> and that was also against URI, who was a low-end FBS team. Maybe not low-end, middle-of-the-pack FBS team. FCS team, sorry, not FBS. And then UConn, who was without their backup quarterback, without their starting quarterback, without their left tackle, and without their head coach. <laughs> and I think their offensive coordinator. Yeah. <laughs> they were screwed. UConn so just looking at that in general and it's not like UMass has been facing these like amazing offenses with like great passing games but they've been facing like teams that would probably get like like 500 600 yards on them Mm. last year or two years ago or whatnot so they've improved a lot and I think they are deserving of a a I think I think A I was gonna say A minus. I wanted to say A minus, but I think A is fair. Um but they'll get tested. I don't know how many more times they'll get tested, to be honest. Liberty will probably be some sort of a test. Yep. Texas A and M obviously. Texas A and M is like, not a test. Texas A and M is like a, yeah. a final exam. That's like taking the MCAT physics with two that no you didn't studying. study for. <laughs> the MCAT, the bar exam. <laughs> And some other really hard tests without studying one bit and knowing nothing about them. Yeah. That's not a test. Now let's look forward to this week where the Minutemen are taking on Eastern Michigan in Ypsilanti. Chris Creighton's Eagles, <laughs> to, to be that now that I know their actual team name. They lost to Eastern Michigan last season in Amherst 42-28. to that was one of the two games Brady looked really good in. It was like a hey, like this guy's kind of got an arm. Now, I don't know how much how many throws Brady threw it. I I want to say over twenty five times in that game because Walt Bell was just like, hey, screw it, we're not gonna win anyways. <laughs> and like it kind of worked. Like forty two to twenty eight isn't bad. That's two touchdowns. He okay. He threw it 38 times that game. Brady was 22 for 38 with 285, two touchdowns, and an interception. 38 times throwing the ball is unheard of for this season. I don't think Brady Olsen has thrown it 38 times so far this season. I don't think Gino Campiotti's thrown it 38 times this season. Yeah, I don't think any, yeah. He's actually, Gino's thrown 49. But Chris Creighton this year has a team that is stronger on offense, weaker on defense, which is interesting because I don't know if we've seen a team like that for UMass so far. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, so I feel like it could go one of two ways in like, oh, wow, like UMass actually looks decent because their defense is like good enough to sustain the offense and the offense, um, I, obviously the offense, and like maybe the offense scores because their defense is bad. But in reality, they're probably just going to get their butt whooped again. The spread is 19 and a half. But before we get to those predictions, 
Colin, what do you think they can... What's, like, a most realistic improvement the Minutemen can make going into this game? I think a realistic improvement, because it's a bad defense, I think it would be realistic to say that UMass could should get 10 to 13 points. I'm thinking, like, a touchdown and then a field goal or two. Mm-hmm. Like... Against a bad defense, they scored one touchdown on offense against Stony Brook. They had two field goals against Stony Brook. And the only reason they got up to 20 was because of the defensive touchdown. So I would say that you should be able to get a touchdown and a field goal or a touchdown and two field goals against a team that's obviously much better than Stony Brook. But the defense is like not, it's nothing special at all. I think that would be a step in the right direction. I think they really need to get a touchdown on offense. Like, they're hurting for it badly. So that would be, I would say, realistically, 10 to 13 points offensively would be a step in the right direction. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I think for them, what's really important is, like you said, getting a touchdown, but early-ish. In the first half, preferably the first quarter, to be honest. But um, if they can just break that ice, I think it gives them confidence Sometimes their defense makes plays, and you can see they come out of the huddle on offense pretty pumped up after their defense picks them up. So if they can score a touchdown in the first, you know, 20 minutes, I think that'll provide some momentum. Um, I'm going to say touchdown or two. I'm feeling my – you know, I'm tingling. I can I can feel – bold prediction, two touchdowns. That's what I'm going to say. Ooh, never, been is, done, hey, never been done hey, this season you know what? on offense. Why not? Say. Russell Westbrook, yeah. why not, you know? Yeah, why not? What do you think, Joey? Not that. I, don't <laughs> I I think in a dream scenario, UMass loses this game 10 to 20. And their defense holds up the offense and it's like, "Whoa, like this offense is or this defense is like really like decent." And their offense scores one touchdown in a field goal. I think that is a absolute dream scenario. What do I think will happen? I don't know. I don't know. Probably like three points and then 45 Mm. for Eastern Mm. Michigan. Something along those Mm. lines. Also, Ellis Merriweather had 145 rushing yards last year against Eastern Eastern Michigan on 23 attempts. Good for 6.3 yards per carry. What are the odds he gets 50 rushing yards this weekend? I mean, you think you assume the offense is going to get probably close to 200 total, but they're using like 85 different people to run the ball. Mm. Uh, you know what? I think that he is going to eclipse 50. I think that he's Don Brown is going to take him back over as the lead back. Tim Baldwin and him have been pretty much 50-50, but I think he'll get over 50. I don't think he's going to touch 100. I don't think either of them are going to touch 100, to be honest with you. But 50... I think I think he could get there. I think he'd get sixty or seventy. Uh to me that's a little optimistic. I think because they've been running so much by committee, it seems like, and Gino's been taking so many um design runs. I think the only way that their running game has seemed to work at all has been by mixing it up and, and throwing in different looks. And so on that same breath, like how could they possibly imagine running the amount that they do through one person without passing? It just seems like he might 
Merriweather might get, you know, 20 carries with 20 yards. Like, just because Eastern Michigan, I'm not totally versed on their defensive line, to be quite honest with you, but if they looked at, right, if they look at tape for the last month, they're just going to stuff the middle, and I hope that the play calling changes because they'll need to switch it up a little bit, which is why I don't think he gets 50 yards. Fair, fair. It's a Ellis, good assessment. Ellis Merriweather actually has 50-plus yards in three of the four games this season. Ooh. So he, I think I think he'll break it because I'm still baffled as to how he's getting off to the slow start because he was so obviously their most talented player last season. and just not, He was their best player. Most talented feels like a different thing because he's just this like big... I, he might be most talented too. Hmm. He was their best player last year, and I'm still a little puzzled by what's going on. I don't completely understand it. But before we go, nineteen and a half point spread, as I just mentioned before. Do any of us think UMass can cover that spread? Absolutely not. Uh, I think like my realistic prediction would be like thirty-five or thirty-eight to like. 10 or 13. Uh, 13 so, points is a lot. Yeah, I I know. Mm. I know. 10 to 13 points I think could happen. But I think that they're going to make so many mistakes on offense and special teams that they're going to ha- – like the defense is going to play good but still let up like 35 points. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprising anybody by saying they're definitely not going to cover. <laughs> I think that's a pretty safe bet. But I think because they got goose egged last week on the scoreboard – I'm sure they have a little sense of pride. They got to score this week. I mean, three points is a field goal is, you know, it's it's nice, but they need a touchdown. Let's be honest. They need a touchdown. So I'm going to say no, but a valiant effort. That's what I'll say. <laughs> That's very fair. I'm going to say no, obviously. If I gave you guys really quick, one word, yes or no, if I gave you an alternative spread of 33 and a half, what do you say? I say yes. Yes, they cover? Yeah. Judah? I'm going to have to back my boy. I'm going to say yeah. I'm going to say yeah. <laughs> I will say no, and that is how we end off this episode of the Collegian Sports Podcast. Hope you all enjoyed. We'll see you next week. Bye.